1: Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. I, I, I. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll today. It's the story of the infamous island death match between Antonio Noki and Masa Saito that took place on October 4th, 1987 on Ganrujima Island tiny uninhibited island in japan talk about the uh, ultimate social distancing match uh, my old friend and journalist uh, from tokyo fumi saito and jim valley from pacific rim wrestling podcast and uh, wrestling observer live are here to talk about the circumstances surrounding the match the events leading up to it and what to expect if you actually want to check it out for yourself it's a great story that involves a pro wrestling legend and master promoter antonio Noki. Whose New Japan Pro Wrestling company was in constant battle with Giant Baba's All Japan for talent, TV ratings, and fans. Fumi's going to shed some light on that because he was a kid in Japan when these two promotions were fighting for ratings. Fumi also knew Masasaito and visited him in jail in Wisconsin. Another crazy story involving a, a McDonald's and a fight with the police. Fumi's going to fill us in about that. All coming up. And there's a new Winnipeggers episode coming up this Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern. This one's called Doppelgangers, a celebrity uh, and serial killer doppelgangers that look like me, Speewee, and Rybo. And wait till you hear who Dave Spivak, Speewee, has been mistaken for and told that he looks like and which of those two upsets him more. Rybo's got a couple good ones as well, and I've got a few, including the one that Ric Flair calls me to this day. So if you want to know who our lookalikes are, our doppelgangers, check out the Winnipeggers on Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. And let's go together on Saturday night for the 20th Saturday Night Special. Drinks, questions, stories, sing along. We're doing it like we do every Saturday night. Uh, I've got my goodies hangover ready for this one. Order on Amazon so you avoid that hangover come Sunday morning. Facebook Live, my official YouTube channel at 9 p.m. Eastern on Saturday night for the Saturday Night Special. All right. We paid all the bills for now. And My old friend Fumi Saito and his Pacific Rim Wrestling Podcast partner, Jim Valley, are sharing the story of Anoki versus Saito and the island death match coming up on Talk is Jericho. So one of the um, the uh, benefits of all of us being in a pandemic, worldwide lockdown is it gives a lot of time to uh, look into things, research things, and talk to, to guys that you don't get a chance to talk to too much. And this is a combination of all those things because... Uh, I got Jim Valley here and, and Fumi Saito, a, a old friend of mine from Japan. And I was listening to your podcast, um, Pacific Rim podcast. Yes. And you guys were talking about the infamous island death match between Antonio Inoki and Masa Saito. In this day and age when there's so many, I've been calling them no people matches, empty arena matches. It's so strange to work without a crowd and this one obviously was one of the the first kind of no crowd matches. How was it for you guys before we get into this? Watching wrestling from an expert standpoint and a, from a fan standpoint with no people there.
2: First couple of weeks of Monday Night Raw and SmackDown, it was so strange, right? Right. And I almost got used to it. You know, like a third week, folks, weeks in, and start realizing some wrestlers walk, you know, work fine without audience. Some of the guys just doesn't work like. I don't want to point one out, but let's say the Miz and John Morrison without audience (laughs) look way too silly. Right. Right. And whereas Daniel Bryan's match, the audience are supposed to pay attention to really what's going on in that ring. And you are watching wrestling match. You almost don't need the crowd reaction. Mm. Sometimes. Yeah.
1: What do you think, Jim?
3: I think it's taught me from a fan perspective, more about working as far as you can see, athletes who are more in the moment and seem to be unaffected by no fans, and you have others that seem to be who would excel more in, a, in an environment where they have the interaction with the audience. The worst thing I've seen is at times it kind of exposes some of the coordination as far as. To mention Ms. Morrison just climbing up the ladders. You know, maybe with fans booing or mm-hmm. cheering, it would have seemed less planned out and less convenient. But regardless, this is a really difficult situation for everybody. And I think everyone's doing the best they can. And you, you have to appreciate that.
1: It's interesting to me from a professional standpoint, because I actually haven't had a match yet, but I've been on the shows every week in different capacities. And obviously I did a 15 minute one on one promo with Matt Hardy. Where, you know, if the crowd was there, it would be that much more, I wouldn't say exciting, but maybe energetic or live. But there's also a certain feel to it when it's just one-on-one, almost like you're acting in a movie or something like that. So I think what you guys are saying is probably right. There's certain guys that are going to adapt to it and certain guys that won't, because we really don't have any choice at this point. If the shows are going to continue, you got to do it that way.
3: At WrestleMania, I thought Charlotte Flair was amazing as far as adapting to it and i was really really impressed with the performance she put in
2: with or without audience they've done the same match
1: now is that necessarily a good thing for me
2: good or bad but it, it had to be this way this without audience thing no you know no audience in the building it will not stop at the wrestlemania until this coronavirus thing you know make any change that you will be having or producing these TV shows, mm-hmm. I don't know for how long. You know, you, this is the way it has to be for quite some time. For you know, going forward, yeah, realistically,
1: what's kind of what wrestling is all about is you have to go with the flow and you and you have to adapt and and change. And I think one thing that I really liked about WrestleMania. Uh, were kind of the movies, like the taker movie. I wouldn't really call it a match. Oh yeah,
2: that was very much movie.
1: Yeah, it's a movie and the Firefly Funhouse thing and
2: Yeah, that was strange, but the Bray Wyatt theme, it had to be that way, right?
1: Yeah, and also to taking advantage. It's like, it's like this week I'm I'm on I'm on commentary with Tony shivani and the reason for that was there's six weeks of T V that we're filming let me just do commentary because we need a, we need a, another announcer, and I can add some energy to it because I, I find the commentators. If you're going to have no people there, you got to be extra energetic and excited and into it to translate to the people at home.
2: It, it adds the content, like you're the disc jockey of that show.
1: Right. That's a great point. What's going on in Japan? Because for me, one of the things about the, that I noticed very early on was you know, in following New Japan and working for them for the last three years, they were very, one of the first kind of big sports to pull the tours and to shut things down.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Is it still?
2: Yeah, they're a big enough company, they could afford to cancel the show and still pay boys, right? Right. All Japan canceled the show, Pro Wrestling Nor canceled the show, for Women's Wrestling, Stardom canceled the show, and rest of the smaller company have to follow it, too. And Koraken Hall shut down, too. They're not renting a house until a few months. So you can't run a show there. Well,
1: because Stardom actually did a few empty arena shows before, didn't they?
2: Yeah, and then they went back to one show with audience, then they got really criticized, then they went back to without it, and then they completely canceled the show this last
1: week. How were they able to go back to doing shows with an audience? Had the, had the virus kind of gone away for a bit? or?
2: It wasn't, but it was not as serious. They didn't see the like kind of information and people's understanding and the circumstances. It varies, right? Mm-hmm. Until this prime minister and the cabinet, you know, announces don't go out and stay home, then rest of the society pretty much realize, right, this is really serious, you know? Mm-hmm. First couple of weeks, or even like a... Th- President Trump, three weeks back, they thought it was going to be okay, normal by Easter, right? Right. <laughs> not, not Easter, it's like only a month away, not even a month away, it's, like, it's like impossible. But the understanding and interpretation of the whole situation varied. Now it's way serious.
1: Yeah, everyone understands just how big it is.
2: Yeah, so they went, when, as, as far as wrestling goes, a couple wrestling companies went back to Shows with audience for once, you know, like a three weeks back, and say, "Oh, oh then really, when no, we can't do this. Then, then a show without audience, then now completely canceled all the tours. That's where we are now.
1: Wow. And that's where we stand, basically, in, in the States. Isn't that correct, Jim? I mean, it's pretty much everything shut down here now for sports and everything.
3: Unless you're Dana White and you're talking to your realtor about an island, Yes. <laughs> So you know, <laughs> uh, apparently Dana White is a, a student of Anokiism. I had no idea, but, um, yeah, everything else is. Is, is shut down, and, and I it's so great for that the, we're, for we're Dana this White, seriously.
2: you know what, what's going on in society doesn't apply to his his world or something.
3: Well, yeah, and
1: it's almost the same with with Vince still taping down in Florida, and but I guess everybody's got their own way of dealing with things. But what you just said, Jim, was a student of Anokiism. And I want to talk about the deathmatch, but I want to build up to this just to explain this very interesting character of Antonio Inoki and kind of a lot of the strange, interesting, unique things that he did. So give us a little bit of information and background on Antonio Inoki to get to this, this point, Fumi.
2: One of the most influential wrestling superstar and promoter of 20th
1: century. Now, why do you say that?
2: He was the kind of guy who actually... Had a wrestle you know. how a match against Muhammad Ali in 1976.
1: Right, you know. They
2: thought it was craziest thing back then, but the the interpretation and understanding of this Ali Inoki fight, it changed over decades. It was almost the birth of MMA, wasn't it? Hmm. Hindsight,
1: wrestling versus boxing, absolutely a combination yeah. of different fighting styles going into the ring. It wasn't even work. You know who promoted that match in the States, Fumi? On closed circuit? McMahon family. That's right, McMahon family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, were you around when that was on, Jim? Do you know a lot about that match, Inoki and Ali?
3: I was really, really young when that uh, when that happened, so I vaguely remember it. Mm. I remember seeing, you know, Antonio Inoki sometimes in the After Magazines, in the Bad News Bears. <laughs> with, with the After Magazines, they, they talked about this island match and described it, and you're, you're just fascinated by what what this could be and and what it means and I, I loved reading about Tiger Mask and everything I saw and it was so hard to get information at my age in a small town but it boggled the mind what what this could actually mean and what what the pictures you were imagining were. What
1: about Enoki Muhammad Ali fight? That, yeah, did you ever have you ever heard about that as well? Is, is that how you start out, Jim?
3: Yeah, it's just you don't really know because Enoki wasn't a huge name here. It's like. Here's a, here's a fighter. And what we knew about combat was so limited back then. And Ali was the greatest and you can't touch Ali. I mean, come on, he's, he's Ali. So in the sense that he didn't have a reputation and we didn't know a lot about fighting, it was really hard to, to, to get my head around everything.
0: Do you want a beautiful lawn?
1: What was it that made Inoki so popular, uh, Fumi? Like, wh- what kind of led him to being this cultural icon and being one of the greatest wrestlers and promoters, not just in Japanese history, but in American history as well?
2: Okay, in Japan, like, when I was a really little kid, there were always two major companies. Giant Baba's All Japan Pro Wrestling, Antoin Inoki's New Japan Pro Wrestling, Baba had Channel 4 Network Channel Primetime Program, Inoki's New Japan, always on, on TV Asahi, Friday night, 8 o'clock, primetime TV program. So two major league. When I was a little kid, Giant Baba was show business, and Inoki was a real deal. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, yeah, that was an analogy they were using. Yeah, Baba's this American wrestling is kind of show business and this and that. All the major superstars from America came to old Japan always. Inoki had what, Taiga Jitsing or somebody, right? But the Inoki always beat everybody every week.
1: And so that led him to start working with. I mean, there was the Russian guys, and there was you know Willie Wilhelm, and all these kind of legit fighters. What was Anoki's mindset in, in in booking those matches?
2: See, Giant Baba in All Japan had all the connection with all the major league wrestling, NWA, the AWA, the all the southern you know NWA territory, and the Funks Booker, and all those things. All the superstars came to Channel Four, All Japan Pro Wrestling, whereas. Inoki beating some guy every week, right? And, and, and then after this Muhammad Ali thing idea, Inoki against big-time judoka, karate fighter, the kickboxer. The, so, or he even had a, after Muhammad Ali fight, Inoki had another uh, mixed fight against guys like Chuck, Chuck Webner. Mm, right. Yeah, pretty much beat everybody. And he's like, uh, wrestling is better than the rest of the combat sports kind of thing. I believed it as a kid.
1: When you talk about the Inoki and Ali match, because yeah. you mentioned Inoki, and Jim said it too, Inoki was not a very big star in in the States. Up until then. Right. So how did that match even happen with, with Inoki and Ali? Because they went into it with no, with no finish, no idea what the finish was going to be, correct?
2: Right. 15 rounds. And also, okay, first, Muhammad Ali came to Japan and had a press conference on his way to Kuwait for the one of his title defense. Not the match, but the, he stopped in, in uh, Haneda Airport then. He had a press conference, you know, on his way to Kuwait. I don't know. I don't remember the title defense, but the, he, was, he just regained heavyweight championship from George Foreman the previous year, right? Right. You would think that's Muhammad Ali's, like, a real reign, you know, like, his prime time. And he was real big. And press conference, for real, though, but it was a more, more like a lip service kind of thing, because he was in Japan. How come I never have a challenger from Japan? Hmm. That was a press conference for real. <laughs> yeah, like, I never fought Asian guy. I never fought a Japanese challenger. Isn't there any Japanese fighter who wants to fight the greatest? Muhammad Ali doesn't have to be boxer, anybody, karate, wrestler, boxer, anything. Inoki for real answered.
1: Ah.
2: You know, he ran his own angle. You know what I'm
1: saying? Mm, gotcha.
2: But somewhat, it became big news in print media. So somewhat, somehow, Ali side people had to answer it too. Then the pro, the whole project started moving forward. Yeah, Ali's people still, you know, thought that it was going to be the exhibition. You know, some fun thing that uh, Ali goes to Japan and have a fight with you know Japanese professional wrestler. Oh, it's an all oh, acts, you know, piece of cake, right? Mm-hmm. Also, boxers never travels alone. Alone, let alone Muhammad Ali. He comes to Japan with thirty other entourage, right? Yeah, his
1: entourage, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, the whole yeah whole network. Yeah, <laughs> they did not realize how big of a thing it was in Japan until he got here.
0: Ah. They
2: thought it was gonna be just a TV show for like a fun act. Uh, you know, it's all show. You know, when are we gonna rehearse this thing? And Inoki's people say, "No, there's no rehearsal." And then they start saying, "Uh-oh, something is wrong, right?" <laughs> Definitely. But you wouldn't be making, you know, six million dollar back in 1976 for just little show.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, Inoki's people and New Japan and T. V. Asahi it was, it was always been serious about this all along. For uh, you know, knowing how in- Inoki was, he was gonna really have a fight. You know, mm-hmm. leading up to this, Inoki fight, you know, in Ali fight, uh, there was a, like a paid audience at the quarter game for your open sparring show that uh, Ali shows his practice. Inoki shows his practice, right? Then Ali's people saw what Inoki was doing in the ring. It's like, oh, oh this guy is serious, right? Let's pack up and go. Oh, wow. TV Asahi and th- these people did their best not to let these guys leave the country. I mean, how much money they're going to lose, announce it, and cancel it. Sure. Then there was a meeting after meeting after meeting, you know, midnight, you know, closed-door meeting. And to make this fight happen, Ali's people really insisted that there's not going to be no kicking. There's not going to be no wrestling. There's not going to be no karate chop hitting. What are we going to do, right? That's how Inoki, you know came up with laying down in, on his back and kicking his leg thing, remember? Right, yes. He, he had to do this. There's no grappling. There's no karate chop throwing. It's nothing, none of those. What could wrestler do? You know this, Inoki did what he could do, though, then.
1: But just the fact he went in the ring, because like you said, all of Inoki's strengths were taken away. So it was basically a boxing match. Yeah. With the greatest boxer in the world, and Hinoke had none of his tools.
2: None of his tools.
1: But Muhammad
2: Ali thought it was. I'm sure he was still okay because he's the greatest. But his people and entrage didn't trust Japanese people. Anything can happen, you know, if you let this guy, you know, walk into the ring, right? And everything televised, you know, funny thing can happen, right? Mm-hmm. So they were so careful about it. But the point is to make this happen, no. Because it was the biggest thing, right? And also top of the, uh, the the technology at the time, too. You beamed this whole fight into America, live from Japan. No pay-per-view then. Closed circuit at the movie theaters. 130 locations all around the U.S. And it was a big business. And with Vince McMahon family, you had the Shea Stadium show. And after Stan Hansen... Bruno San Martino match and under the giant Chuck Weapon match, you see the big screen on a baseball field watching Oki Ali fight. Right. That was a big
1: business, wasn't it, at the time? Sure. I mean, like you said, it was Shea Stadium for the closed circuit match. I think they had uh, a couple live matches like you mentioned, but that was closed circuit.
2: Yeah. And also, funny thing was, though, this happened in Japan. Saturday morning, 11 o'clock in the morning in 1970s, we had school on Saturday until noon, you know, half a day, but uh, Saturday wasn't off. All the kids go to school Saturday morning then, not anymore though, but uh, when I was ninth grade, yes, we were still junior high when Saturday morning, you still attend morning class on Saturday. For some reason, show started 11 o'clock in the morning in Japan, I had to run home, all the way home, never stopped, I ran home to catch the show, you know? All the kids did. (laughs) Ran from the school back to your home, you know. <laughs> Skip the bus. We have to run to catch the show. All the kids did. The reason they had 11 o'clock in the morning in at the Budokan was that it was nine o'clock prime time in New York.
1: Wow, gotcha.
2: I didn't understand then. It's like, why 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning? So early, right? Right. They had rerun <laughs> that, the, the replay the show the same night, Saturday night, prime time. But it's recorded show. You know, you got to watch these things live.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I ran home. I clearly remember ninth grade me ran home. Like, you know, all the kids were running home. <laughs> you got to watch this show <laughs> <laughs> and believe that the Inoki was going to suplex Muhammad Ali. Right. Not, none of these happened though. And didn't understand the martial arts of it. And Inoki couldn't do any of that. And they didn't announce the rule change and anything on TV.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> they were just doing everything they could to get that match in the ring.
2: In the ring, yes. Mm-hmm. And to have Judo Jin Label as a referee, too, assigned. Right. <laughs> oh, you got to have an enforcer, right?
1: Right, right. Of course.
2: Yeah. Just in case. Oh, God. A lot of myths up to this date, you know. What was taking place backstage. All these people had a gun in his pocket. You can't walk in Budokan with guns in his pocket, you know. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of myths that people still believe to this day. You know he was going to get shot, you know, all those things.
1: So he had a track record of having these kind of strange and interesting matches. Jim, what inspired you to talk about the Island Death Match on your podcast? Was it your idea or was it Fumi's?
3: No, I I just, it occurred to me that right now we're seeing a lot of creativity. The fact that we're seeing empty arena no matches. Yeah, no audience. Right. And we saw the Boneyard match and the creativity of the Firefly Funhouse match. And I was like, wow, Inoki set everything up in, in 1987. It's, it's not as cinematic, say, as the, the Undertaker and AJ Styles, but to have it on an island in, a, in an analog world where you have to set up all the cables and all of the planning that must have gone into it, it's really, we, we can talk about the match and if it was a critical success or not, but as, as far as the vision, it's, it's ahead of its time.
1: It's funny that you say that because w- one of the original things when we were still talking about maybe trying to do Blood and Guts once uh, the Prudential Center in-, in Newark was canceled, one of the ideas I have is I, I live on a-, a fairly big piece of property, and I was like, why don't we just bring the cage to my house and we'll do it like, quote-unquote, backyard, but it's in the middle of a giant field right by a lake. And I said, at least the look of it will be different. I said, shit, but Inoki and Saito did it 30 years ago in the island match. 30 years ago. <laughs> So I actually had thought about that, and that's what got my wheels spinning, about, geez, I really want to know more about this match, and then just a total coincidence you guys had spoke about it. So tell me kind of how this match came to be. Uh, what kind of rivalry does Saito and Inoki have to get to this point?
2: It was in 1987, October 4th. Mm. Okay. This place, Ganryu-jima, the little island in Yamaguchi Prefecture, Shimonoseki City, it actually exists. Okay, that's a famous gunryu island where famous samurai warrior yeah. Musashi Miyamoto and Kojiro Sasaki had their famous battle. Some books say it took place 1612. Some books say this battle took place 1776, 1727. So, so it's like a part of reality, historical fact, part myth. You know, Mm -hmm. but the island actually exists in Yamaguchi prefecture. It's only real small island, 25 acres. That's it. You know, and nobody lives there and nobody done anything since. You know, it's a small island. Nobody lives there. No electricity, nothing. But historical site that exists, Inoki came up with the idea. He, the Inoki and Masa Saito will become Musashi Miyamoto and Kojiro Sasaki (laughs) today.
1: (laughs) Modern day samurai, right?
2: Yeah, that's the craziest idea Inoki can come up with. But it was actually at a very political too at the time. By having this Inoki-Masa Saito single match, actually fourth time in that year alone, Oh wow! he destroyed the ongoing storyline by one night. I'll go back. This year, you know, Inoki and Masa had a series of single match. Masa came back from America after his jail time.
1: Yeah, it's just, let's just speak with that because I remember I grew up in Winnipeg, as you guys know, and that was a big AWA territory. That was the first. That's how I got into wrestling. So Masa Saito was a huge name to me at 12 or 13 years old because he was the one of the big heels yeah. in AWA, and then he just disappeared. Which years later I found out because he was in jail. How did he end up in jail in in America?
2: You now he was he had a green card and he was. Process of, you know, like, he, he was going to be an American citizen. You know, he thought he was going to live there forever, you know. At the time, he already lived in America and had green card. That's why he had no problem working in any, any his, you know, territories. Mm-hmm. He had run with WWF, with Mr. Fuji. He had run in the NWF Florida. He went all over the place, right? Right. San Francisco, Royce Rye. He had green card, you know, uh-huh. and he was going to live there, he thought. But after Ken Patera and Masa Saito's, this police incident and then uh, the court took place in Wisconsin. They were going to nail these professional wrestlers and they wanted to put him in the jail. Right. And he served time 18 months in jail.
1: Did he beat up some cops? Like, cause they wouldn't open up a McDonald's it was for them or okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It was, I, I don't, I wasn't there, you know, and then you had to read about it. I went to visit Masa Saito in in Wisconsin jail twice. You did? I did twice. Wow. Spring and winter. I boiled soba noodles and uh, I brought Japanese food and bento, drove four hours to Wisconsin with his wife at the time. And I visited him in in Wisconsin jail. But there was no fence. You know why they have no fence in uh, jail in Wisconsin? It's in the middle of woods, middle of nowhere. You had to, you know, walk twenty miles to anywhere <laughs> in civilization. You
1: know? Were you already a journalist at that point, Fumi?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I started in eighty one. Wow. I was still in college.
1: But you also went to college in Minneapolis or Minnesota, right? Yeah. Oh, I got gotcha. you.
2: I wrote letter to Japanese editor in the wrestling magazine. You know, I live in America and I can take photos and write stories. You know, I can be your correspondent in America. And I wrote letter to the editor, you know, right? 19 year old guy, you know, and they didn't think I could do it. So they wrote back and said, oh, great, let's do it. Do it. Do it. Not thinking I could do it. And you did. Yeah. I, I made up my own identification card and uh, put my photo on it. And then I made my own ID. <laughs> you had to. <laughs> You make your own right. press pass and went to Vern Gagne and the Wally Cobble's show and then, you know, I started showing up the show with my camera. And they didn't believe me first, you know. But uh, I start taking for my debut match. It was Vern Gagne against Nick Bakuenko, 1981. And I sent the photo to Japanese wrestling magazine. They made, you know, four-page color page on it. I brought the magazine back to AWA office and see, see, see. Right? And also people like Adrian Adonis and Jesse Ventura started making tours to Japan. And Adrian almost took me under his wing and said, you know, yeah, you're all right. I like you. And then we
1: became friends. So when Massa was in jail, you went and visited I him? I visited,
2: yeah. I visited.
1: Yeah.
2: I got little details, you know, too. And I read all the newspaper, what happened in the court and all that. And then temperature threw a big brick boulder into McDonald's window because they were closed, you know. <laughs> Bad, huh?
1: Typical wrestlers, though, right? I want food!
2: Yeah, McDonald's <laughs> in a small town, Waukesha, Wisconsin, the population of 500, they know where wrestlers are staying.
1: Oh, yeah, right. Good point.
2: Yeah, so the, they, the police force, you know, the I mean, you're talking, dozen cops, right, came to their motel room, you know, and uh, they knocked the door, and then the Masa was rooming with Ken Patera, and Masa answered the door and, and told the cop, no, Ken isn't here. Then, but they maced him, you know. Then uh, he, um, he got out of the room and shut the door, but they locked, you know, with his underwear and everything, you know. But uh, so they one thing led to another, and one cop from one end of the hallway, and the other group of cop from the other side, you know, end of the hallway. He had to fight too, you know. Mm-hmm. All in all, assaulting police officers is a big crime, you know. <laughs>
1: Absolutely.
2: Oh, it's possible in a small town in, in, in Wisconsin. Exactly. And they wanted to have that court in that town, too. Not in Minneapolis. Oh, wow. Not in Minneapolis with Varangani professional lawyers, you know? But anyhow, to make a long story short, they were in jail, you know? And I went to visit him a couple of times. And after he got out of jail in the end of 1986, he pretty much changed his mind that he wanted to come back and have a final run as a active wrestler. Cause he got lonely about it. Cause he was already forty something, right? And being in jail for eighteen months, he worked out in there, though. But the, he didn't think he could have match anymore. And I, people were telling, you, it's like riding a bicycle. So you can have a match, you know. Mm-hmm. He trained again and made comeback a little bit. But that, that was dying day of AWA too, you know.
1: Right. Yep.
2: And Enoki was having, you know, running his like a final run as active wrestler. Two years later, he'll become politician,
1: remember? Right, right. But he still wrestled for another 10 years after that. Yeah, but uh, two or three matches at a time. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah.
2: Every time he wrestled, it was a big deal. But active, full time wrestler and a booker and promoter, that was becoming his final run, too. So Inoki assigned, wanted to have Masa Saito as his big rival. And uh, Masa wanted to come home and have his final run as active wrestler. Gotcha. Yeah, all thing worked. in March 26th of 1987 at the Osaka Castle Fall, the Inoki Tokon Live, such a big show, you know. Uh, Inoki and Masa Saito had a big first single match. Well, they, it wasn't the first time. They had single matches before, but uh, they made it sound like it was the first time. Gotcha. And... Uh, the mind of Inoki sometimes works, sometimes too crazy that if you remember Billy Gasper, the pirate guy, mm-hmm. he shows up at the end of the match and destroy this match and handcuff Masa and, and leaves. No finish. Oh, people got mad. Right.
1: Wow. Okay. I mean,
2: riot. People wouldn't leave the building because they hated what they just saw, hated the finish. Sometimes Japanese serious wrestling fans don't leave like a protest thing, you know. They're not going to leave the building until office or somebody ring announcer or somebody's going to come out and explain. Please go home, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Following month, in April 27, 1987, Inoki and Masa met again for second time. This time, single match, but the, uh, the, in the middle of the match, Inoki said, take the ropes out of there. And then they took the three ropes out of the ring and they made a flat ring. Oh, wow.
1: It's a fight. Oh, really? Okay, gotcha.
2: Yeah, no rope death match.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, Inoki runs his own angle. Sometimes I mean, he was without even telling the Sakag- book Sakaguchi, you know? Yeah. But that gives more reality to it, right? Because people are shocked. All the second young wrestlers, young boys around the ring, all the guys are in shock. You know what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. It makes the ankle that much more real.
1: Yeah, in the moment, right.
2: Yeah, that was the same April a- 1987. New Japan lost their prime time, eight o'clock time slot, and station moved New Japan Pro Wrestling's television, their show, from Friday night, eight o'clock, to Monday night, eight o'clock. Changing time was killer, though, mm. after 20 some years, you know?
1: Because people are, are trained to know that's when the show is on.
2: Yeah, yeah, but uh, they, they had their reason too because uh, rating was really declining, you know, with other reasons too, you know, like having other networks having strong shows on Friday night and all these, you know, sometimes TV people kill wrestling, right? Right. It was one TV producer who killed WCW. It was going to come to an end, you know, too, but uh, sometimes one TV producer make one decision, and that would kill a wrestling company, you know, sometimes.
1: That's right, yeah.
2: Anyhow, that was a time that, that they changed and they brought the TV people to change the wrestling program that, that they made uh, this variety show, talk show segment with comedian, then go back to wrestling, go back to studio with comedian's you know, commentary and goes back go back to arena show. And this they made a crazy format, you know. Then there was a fifth annual IWGP tournament for new fans, IWGP sounds like your championship, right? Right. But IWGP up until this year was annual spring round robin t- tournament. Hmm. After this, okay, final of the annual, annual IWGP t- tournament, of course, the final was again Antonio Inoki against Masa Saito. <laughs> Third time that year alone. Right. Inoki announced it as a president of the company IWGP will become heavyweight champion the title that would be defended. Oh. Yeah, it became championship instead of annual tournament. Okay. We could talk about IWGP all night long, <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, but this is the buildup as to why they ended up on an island.
0: Yeah, yes, I'm getting to it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you want a beautiful lawn?
1: all right, Fumi, let's get back to this. Tell us what brought Inoki and Saito to that remote yeah. island.
2: Yeah, then so March Inoki Masa fight, April Masa Inoki fight with no rope death match, and the third time IWGP annual tournament final mm-hmm. Inoki against Masa again. Inoki beats Masa, right? Of course. Then they ran this big angle right after the match. Inoki asked everybody to challenge me, (laughs) of course, when he didn't do that. But uh, anyhow, you just won the tournament and IWGP becoming a heavyweight championship instead of the tournament, this is the championship belt that would be defended. Mm -hmm. And Inoki said, anybody, anybody, you know, I'll take challenge from anybody. Then they, they ran this big angle. It's, it'll be called New Leader Against Now Leader. That's a Jap- Japan English, right? Right,
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep.
2: Now leaders, are, that means establishment. Inoki, the president of the company, Sakaguchi, the vice president of the company, and the booker, and all the company, you know, let's say, uh, Stooges. Anyhow, at the time, New Japan had five dressing rooms. Well, well, WWE have like a 10 locker room, right? But, yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. New Japan had five dressing rooms. One was Inoki and his guys, okay? Mm -hmm. Then the other one was all the New Japan guys. The third dressing room was Choshu and his guys, like 14, 15 guys. And fourth dressing room was UWF, you know, Maeda, Takada. They all work in New Japan then, you know? Mm -hmm. Fifth dressing room was Gaijin.
1: Right, the foreigners.
2: Yeah, five dressing rooms, you know? And the now leaders are the establishment inoki and sakaguchi and his guys
1: new leader
2: will be fujinami choshu and maeda and all the younger guys that are main event guys but generation younger than
1: inoki yeah
2: yeah so now that the right after this fifth annual iwgp and iwgp becoming championship and the big angle now leaders against establishment you know now leaders against new leaders That meant breaking up all Choshu faction, UWF faction, and New Japan's Babyface faction, right? Mm -hmm. They were running shows like, uh, card like Inoki, Masa Saito, Sakaguchi against Fujinami, Maeda, and Choshu, or something like that. Right. Kind of confusing. Fans understood that, right? The biggest point is to see who's going to beat Inoki, 45-year-old Inoki. And ultimately, it had to come down to Inoki against Akira Maeda single match, and Maeda have to beat him, right? Probably. Mm -hmm. They did this new leader against now leader thing for four months: June, July, August, and September. And I thought this was gonna, you know, longer run as a storyline because it was a great, you know, storyline at the time. I believed somebody had to beat Inoki at the end, right? Either it would be Fujinami or it'd be Choshu or it'd be Maeda or maybe even Young Takada. Mm -hmm. But apparently, Inoki didn't really enjoy this uh, the whole story. And I, well, he created it, but he hated it too, you know. Right. For younger and other audience out there, you know, your listeners to be able to understand Inoki, Inoki is like Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon in one (laughs) good description. Yeah, because he creates it, he acts it, and he's uh, always a leading role of this whole story. And then, then sometimes he changes, you know, his his mind in the middle of it, and everybody suffers.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Then the new, after September, the Japanese TV premiere, you know, like a new TV season starts and end of September and and the first week of October, just like your TV premiere season. Right. Then you know, season so and so. Your I don't know homeland starts or something like that you know
1: yeah of course sure
2: yeah october of 1987 tv asahi again decided to change the time slot from tuesday night eight o'clock to monday night eight o'clock and wrestling fans and wrestling communities suffer again right they did the prime time special 90 minutes special seven thirty to 9 o'clock 90 minutes special on tv asahi It was a big show that you need to come up with big content, huh?
1: Right, right, right.
2: Much like your NBC Saturday Night Main Event kind of type thing. Mm -hmm. That's when Inoki came up with Jungle Fight. And, And conveniently, Inoki could destroy this now leader establishment against new leader, the whole angle by having one match and destroy the previous story Four months yeah yeah four months build up of the storyline <laughs> by having going back to Inoki Masa fight again
1: that was his big idea for the big for the big ratings push was to do the jungle fight
2: jungle fight nobody had done it and it's a historical site the Ganryu Jima actually exists a lot of people didn't even know because it, it's kind of a myth where Musashi Miyamoto against Kojiro Sasaki, it's like your Hercules, you know You
1: know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah, like gods, yeah, Greek.
2: It's The island actually exists. Oh, really? And Inoki was going to have fight there against his biggest rival, then Masa Saito. Perfect opponent for Inoki, though, because Masa loves him. Give me 30 seconds to explain this. Okay. I asked Masa, you know, if you love Inoki so much, why would you always be heel? Because their friendship goes back to what the 1965 or something, you know? Yeah. But master's answer was that's what makes him
1: star. You hmm. had to be opponent. That's right, yeah. Good point.
2: You're a wrestler, you agree?
0: Absolutely. Every good baby face needs a good heel. Absolutely. Yeah, I and mean, then that's what's making Master star. Do you want a beautiful lawn?
1: Jim, have you seen the full match? Because the match goes on quite long, right?
3: Yeah, I've only seen the edited version that's up on. I think it's Daily Motion right now. Oh, okay, um, I, okay, very good. I, I think I saw it on a on a tape years ago. You know, like like I said, when you see the you know the Island Death Match as a kid, <laughs> maybe you know you're expecting. <laughs> you know, Greg Gagne is Rambo or you know, <laughs> Indiana Jones
1: in there. And there's the,
3: yeah. You know, today, maybe Sarah Logan running around howling. You, you, <laughs> you imagine stealth and, you know, maybe a machete in there somewhere and people sneaking up on each other, coming out of rivers and it's
1: dart, dart blow guns and everything. Yeah.
3: Yeah. You just, you, there's a big boulder. There's <laughs> just from, from my standpoint is as, as, as an, as a U.S. kid, that's what you have in mind. And, the the reality was, for better or for worse, it's actually a very serious presentation, and it's more of a pancration style, very straightforward match. There's not a lot of movement. The the offense is is very standard and not a lot of varied offense, but the whole time you can see that they're putting effort in. It I took probably a lot of energy to be in the moment the whole time. There's Subtle things going on when Masa Saito has got, got Inoki locked in, you can see Inoki's face and he's like looking around, like thinking, okay, what do I do? And he's kind of reaching around, just kind of with his hands, okay, where am I doing? And I can do and then he finally figures out what he needs to do. Yeah, Form
2: is coming out of his mouth too. Mm.
3: Yeah, there's there's a lot of subtle things, but if you are <laughs> you're expecting action and diving off of trees and things, you're Brass gonna be, yep. yeah, you're gonna be disappointed
1: yeah because they basically uh, they have set up a ring the filming is very grainy i don't know if that's from over the years but there's a there's a helicopter that's filming from far away and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. basically like you guys said they're just grappling and there's a, there's a part where uh, Masa gets Inoki kind of in a leg lock and they sit there for like gosh i don't know 5 minutes 10 minutes and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like you said like it's it's very much a slow Almost like if it was a real-life fight to the death, what would these guys do with no weapons and no outside help?
3: There's also a callback to the samurai incident that Fumi was talking about where uh, one of the samurai back in the 1600s made his opponent wait for 30 minutes. Oh, and right, that's right. He, and you can see that where they have the tents, Inoki is stalling. Wouldn't um, come Mas- up. Yeah, Amasa Saito is waiting in the ring, and Anoki's not coming out and it's a callback to that so there's there's still references to the the historical battleground that they're fighting on. good point
2: hmm. everybody knows that part in his you know history like a myth and legends you know yes you make your opponent wait it's a psychological warfare
1: but then there's also like there's there's some tiki torches set up because it starts kind of uh in the dusk and then it goes into night right right there's a Part where I think Inoki—that's
2: how they wanted to do. It. Yeah, still bright outside, and the fight starts. You fight until it's completely dark,
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> they threw. Uh, I think Inoki throws Saito into the torch or, or whatever. They, yeah, yeah, they did that.
2: It. And it was 1980s, so that, both guys juiced, of course.
1: Of course, with so fire on the ground and there's blood everywhere, and they're just sweating. It was probably very humid in that area uh, in October was this shot and filmed and edited Fumi or was it a live broadcast or what?
2: It was, they did the fight the night before. Okay. Much like your WrestleMania this year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They want to pretend that they, they don't say it's live or taped, you know? So they pretended that could be live, you know, but actual fight took place the night before. And I was one of the TV Asahi's world pro wrestling TV programs The lowest writer then Mm. the reason they brought me in was that uh, those you know directors and producers and other guys in in the studio have no clue about wrestling right right they had to it's before internet you have to you know these listeners out there have to realize it's before google you know? Yes. <laughs> and I was given that part-time job as a go-to guy to say anything about wrestling. Oh, they can't do that in wrestling. Oh, you can't do that in wrestling. Historically, this was this. I just give them clue. You know? But I, I was only twenty-five and I had no power and no opinion, nothing. You know? But I was at what I'm saying is
1: I was in that studio when they were editing this match. Wow. Yeah, what were they looking for to edit? Because, like we mentioned, it was two hours long.
2: Actually, it was another Antonio Inoki saga thing that you kayfabe the closest people. Right. They didn't tell TV Asahi and actual camera crew and the directors anything about it. Just come in and film this as if it's real, (laughs) you know. So you had to be there at all time and not to miss anything. But you film this as a sporting event, like you don't miss anything in baseball game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they were there all day to film everything. And we got the raw footage from that you know, location, and you had to make it into a 90-minute primetime show. There were two matches announced. One match, Masa Saito-Inoki jungle match, the half of the show. And the other was live from Korakin in uh, Fujinami against Choshu single match first time in three years. Choshu and his faction worked Jan Baba's old Japan nineteen eighty five and nineteen eighty six. They left New Japan for two years. You know for real. Right. 87, spring of eighty seven was a deal that the Inoki and whole, uh that the Choshu and the whole faction came back to New Japan to join again. Fujinami Choshu single match, they could make a big deal out of it. First time in three years, such a rivalry. In the early 80s, you know, that was a main event. How many times can you do Ric Flair against Ricky Steamboat? But they did it.
1: So when when this came out, was it? Uh, you mentioned it was a ninety-minute prime time special. Did, did you guys edit it down to about an hour?
2: Yeah, yeah, about like forty minutes.
1: What was the reaction from the audience from the country?
2: It probably varies because, um, you know, serious, more hardcore wrestling fan wanted to see the end of Inoki, right? Yeah. Who's going to beat Inoki, you know, like, would it be Choshu, would it be Fujinami or even Maeda or somebody at the time? But uh, Inoki instead went back to Inoki against Masasaito program instead, right? So it was like, ah, again, right? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But general audience watching primetime TV program, Inoki did it again. Wow, from real gun regime Jima, the historical site, nobody has done this. I think it was perfect content for non-serious wrestling fans, but more general TV
1: audience. Because people talked about it. Well, and we're still talking about it now. What was your overall thoughts on it, Jim? In
3: 1987, it's hard to judge. I would think to myself, if I was watching it, and you think about 1987, the year of WrestleMania three, and you mentioned Steamboat, and that was Savage, and the the style and the expectation of what a match was... I think it would hold my interest, but I think, by the, and I think by the end, I would think, wow, they really gutted each other out and they put a lot into it and they, they're spent and there's the finish and it's over. But I don't know if I would have had the same thrill of say like watching Flair and Sting the first time that at, at a clash or something like that. It would be, I would have respected it and I would have gone, wow, those guys did so much. But I don't think I would have gone, oh, you gotta go see this. To a young American fan, like I said, with the island, you have a different concept. To me, watching this, you'd think that this would be called a Carl Gotch match, or maybe with like a Greek theme with a Pankration style. And also, you know, if I were you, Chris, I'd probably trademark island death match before Cody does.
1: I think when I watch it back, it's one of those things that it's much like we talked about the Inoki Ali match earlier its legend is far better than the actual match itself talking about it thinking about it the whole story behind it but when you watch it it's very slow and obviously that's by design because yeah they're not tr- if they did that now it would be much more like the undertaker boneyard match and where there's a lot of tricks and traps and that sort of thing uh, production production yeah whereas enoki wanted this to be Two guys get dropped on an island. There's a there's a guerrilla camera crew, film it, put it together, air it. You can see that's what he was going for.
2: Couple additional, may I? Yes, please. This Inoki and Masa fight in Ganryujima Jima Island, it's not a house show. They didn't sell ticket. What Booker and Vice President Senior Vice President Sakaguchi came up with was an advertisement they offered to the, all the media outlet at the time, you know, Weekly Pro Wrestling, the Gang Magazine, the Weekly Fight, the Tokyo Sports, the Nikkan Sports, about 45 different media outlets. They had to buy this flag. You know, samurai warrior fight, you always have this samurai flag, right, in the battlefield. Right. One flag says Antonio Inoki. And one flag say Masa Saito. and you can put your company name underneath. It's an advertisement, you know. Oh, okay. You have to buy two flags each. It's one thousand dollar, one thousand. So it's two thousand dollars, okay? And all forty-five to fifty media outlet had to buy this, you know, advertisement, and to put it in, you know, on the island as a flag, samurai flag. But there was an advertisement that the fee we had to pay, you know, two thousand each like 50 other media outlets, all of a sudden you got a $100,000 house show gate. Right. right. Very smart.
1: Very, very smart. Very
2: smart on Sakaguchi's part, you know? But that made it look like a samurai battlefield.
1: Yeah. Did either guy get hurt at all in this fight? I
2: kind of don't think so. Inoki lost his memories. Do you believe him? It's up to you. (laughs) And one more bonus note is that this was... October of nineteen eighty seven, October fourth to be exact, that was the day Bruiser Brody went back to old Japan officially. They had to do something around that date because what's gonna be on tokyo sports the very next day you know about tokyo sports that comes out every day and you can buy this you know trash tabloid sports page newspaper on any subways and train station around the country people pick up and read it right right so wrestling coverage was really very important for wrestling companies at the time but this year you, you and i just talked about all the choshu's faction all 15 guys coming back from all japan to new japan while they are technically still under contract with Old Japan, all Japan was going to sue all of them and Inoki. They wanted to settle out of the court. And Brody, Jimmy Snuka, Abdul the Butcher was still technically under contract with New Japan. They just weren't using them. Oh, wow. And they weren't going to use them again. So they kind of traded it. We'll take Ricky Choshu and his faction back and we can release Brody and Sunaka and Abdullah Butcher and using him. Then the Giant Baba gladly took him back, very same week.
1: Yeah, because they, they're they're money drawers. Who who won the island match? Inoki. With what was the finish? I think
2: it was uh, Mystery Sleeper, <laughs> <laughs> Sleeper Hole. Yeah, because you somebody has to go sleep right. Have to lay down like a, the last man standing.
1: Right. You basically have to almost kill somebody to win
2: yeah and they're yeah. both
3: bloody, they're both bleeding heavily both used to, oh heavy yeah. heavily.
2: heavily. Mm-hmm. that was masa's you know very good you know massa role to you know take you
1: know as we start to to wind down here, um do you find that Masa Saito is a little bit underrated as a performer Cause just looking back and thinking about about him and the guy was just massive too, like so f- big. How was he remembered in Japan? Because in the States, he he never really worked for Vince Jr., so people don't really talk about him the same way they talk about Muto or, or, or guys like that.
2: And also, he was a wrestler's wrestler, you know? Boys respected him more so than the fans. Mm. Yeah, he was wrestler's wrestler, wasn't he? What do you think, Jim?
3: It's almost comparable as far as everything to, to Haku, ah. where he's got a lot of respect <laughs> backstage, and he's a businessman, and he does what needs to be done in the ring. And so maybe fans don't pick up on all of the credibility and credentials and realness that is oh, there. How tough
2: he really is, right?
3: Yeah, exactly. And and I remember Mr. Saito. He was around different territories. I remember him in, in tag teams and things. And he was always very credible, but I never saw him at the level of a star in the United States that he is in Japan. And it was just where we saw him in the in the territory days i never had that that opportunity it wasn't that i thought he was bad or lesser it was just these are the roles that i that i saw him in i knew there was something there and i respected him you could tell he was tough and he was going to be a good match but you didn't know exactly the level that he was in japan compared to to his u.s career
1: that's a great point i met masa many times but he was really tied in with brad Ringins. Yeah. Due to his, and I'm sure he probably had something to do with the early development of Brock Lesnar or at least bringing him into Japan if he was tied in with with Brad that deeply.
2: Yeah. Masa and Brad Reagans together, they trained Scott Norton, Tony Holm, Don Fry. Wow. All the guys ready to go, you know, big guys. Yeah. 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 Avater, of
1: course. It's funny. I remember just talking about the weirdness of Inoki. I remember when I went there in about 98 or so, Inoki was hypnotizing. Some of the guys, and I think it was, oh. it, it might've been Nagata. He was, he was, he hypnotized Nagata and Nagata had this weird. Can
2: you say no to Inoki though?
1: Well, that's the thing. He had this weird look on his face. And then as soon as Inoki walked out, Nagata snapped out. Of it and I said, was that really? He said, no, it's Inoki bullshit magic, but you got to go with it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah but uh, he's like that. He's so, but then again you have to respect him he's king of wrestling you know
1: to this day final question for you Fumi is it...
2: uh, yeah well he's now at the 78 or something and he's not part of New Japan he sold the company and he became politician again actually he's on wheelchair but you cannot videotape that part you know yeah and he's still making personal appearance you know if he waves he'll probably get paid Ten grand, you know. Right, right, right. Every day, yeah. So uh, he's just as big as he always was, you know.
1: Legendary, right? Ah, uh, very much, Jim. What's your final thoughts on the Island Deathmatch and kind of its place in wrestling history?
3: I just, th- I agree with what you said that the reputation exceeds what you're going to see. So expect it to be slow. Expect to have to watch details as opposed to any sort of excitement or gimmicks. It's, it's very serious and. It's remarkable. I mean, is this island like a park? Do you have to call the, the parks department and say, hey, we want to have a death match? Is there... You got a permit for that? Death <laughs> match? Could I call the Alamo and go, hey, um, we yes, wanted right.
2: to... I, I think Inoki it... made the Ganryu-jima famous again, though. Right, sure. People didn't know that it actually existed. It's part of myth, you know? Yeah. And it's part of landfill now. But the uh, actual island still exists, and it became tourist place after that.
1: Well guys, thank you so much. That was uh, it was really cool to, to talk to you guys and uh it's always Yeah,
2: let's go back and watch this Inoki Masa Jungle match once again cuz we might get something we we missed, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, go back to Inoki Muhammad Ali match. You thought it was really boring 40 years ago, but
1: now it looks real. Yeah. Well, cuz it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well guys, stay safe and stay healthy and hopefully we can uh we can talk again very soon. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. You got your mask on, Valley? Get your mask on.
3: Absolutely. (laughs) I will too.
1: (laughs) Okay. Good night, guys. Bye. Thank you. Okay. Take care.